Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dash Open podcast. Dash Open is your source for interesting conversations about open source and other technologies from the open source program office at Verizon Media, home to many leading brands, including Yahoo, AOL, Huffington Post, Tumblr, TechCrunch, and many more. My name is Gil, and I'm on the open source team at Verizon Media. Today on the show, I'm excited to chat with Josh Simmons. Josh is a senior open source strategist at Salesforce and the vice president of the Open Source Initiative, the OSI. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks, it's great to be here. Where is here? Right now, we are in room A109 at the Oregon Convention Center. OSCON is happening a few hundred meters away. A very interesting show, day two. You're one of the more popular people here at OSCON. Everyone is always around you talking to you, so I'm really <laughs> glad that we had a chance to get you here on the podcast. We wanted to really tap into your thoughts on OSI and the open source ecosystem at large. So I guess first, why don't we start off and let me just ask you, what is the OSI? So OSI is a nonprofit that stewards the open source definition and maintains the OSI approved license list. OSI was founded in 1998, the same year that the term open source was coined and the definition was written. And the reason that OSI exists is to, shall we say, Tame the chaos of licensing. So, for instance, many organizations, and you know whether they're for-profits, non-profits, or government agencies, defer to the OSI in terms of licensing. So when, say, I'm at company X, company X is trying to write a policy to allow their staff members to use open source software or contribute to it. My documentation will often refer to OSI's approved license list mm as a way to externalize the cost of navigating the often wild world of licenses. Got it, got it. So open source, and even before open source and its origin, the free software movement really started with revolutionary licenses. And I guess, what, 21 years ago now? Yeah. 21 years ago, the open source movement started with a category of licenses that are a little different than the free software licenses. In many ways, they're similar, and in many ways, they're different. So OSI is the steward of those licenses. There's something called the open source definition you mentioned, so you're the steward of that definition. That's right. um, And that defines what an open source license is. Exactly. So the open source definition is a list of 10 things that when a new license is drafted and someone submits it to the review process for consideration and discussion among the community, you know, is this actually open source? That discussion centers around whether or not the new license conforms to the 10 points in that definition. Got it. So an example might be a field of use restriction. No open source license may discriminate against a field of use. So if I'm writing a license, I can't say, anybody can use this except for cloud providers, or anybody can use this except for, I can't write a license like that and have it be legitimately considered open source. Got it. So the field of use restriction, that seems to be the one that comes up quite a bit, because a lot of the proposed licenses that are created are proposed with, I don't know, some sort of, in some cases, maybe ethical consideration, or in some cases, competitive sort of consideration, where Anyone can use this license if they adhere to my political philosophy. So those would be violations of, of the discriminatory either field of use or, or... 
against right. persons or groups, right? right. Yeah, which is number five. So five is no discrimination against persons or groups, and six is no discrimination against fields of endeavor. And so, for instance, if your license discriminated in any of those example ways, right. it would not pass the test. It would not be considered open source. Right. And so here's, I think there are two important things to understand about the open source definition. The first is that any license that meets the Free Software Foundation's definition of a free software license, right. you know, has passes the test of the four freedoms, also passes the open source definition test. So open source definition was very much something that came out of the free software movement. And as you noted, there's open source licenses often differ a bit from free software licenses. And the way that I would put it is that free software licenses are a subset of open source licenses because open source licenses can be copyleft, they can be free software licenses, or they can be permissive licenses, as some people describe them. Those licenses that violate Clause 5 or Clause mm. 6, right? So they do discriminate against people. So it's like all people who share my political ideology can use the software and all people who don't can't. Or, or more notably, all people who are in the world of academia can use this license and all people who work for companies you know right. can't right or field of use you can use this for research purposes but not for commercial purposes right That's, right right so those kind of licenses i mean you're not a lawyer i'm not a lawyer so i'm not going to ask you the legal question as to whether they're legally legitimate because right. i guess in theory some of them may be or may not be but they're legitimate licenses but they're not legitimate open source licenses. So the definition, if I understand what OSI does, is it doesn't say whether this is a good or bad license, whether it's a right or wrong license, or whether it's a pretty or ugly license. Right. right? So it's not about, it really says, this license doesn't comply with these 10 things, and it's usually these one or two things, because those are the more, most contentious ones. Right. Doesn't mean you can't use it, but it does mean that you really can't call it open, or open source, because the word open source means something, and yours isn't, doesn't comply to that meaning. It, it's a different kind of license, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this has been, I confess, a, a challenge mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I'll tell my own story here. I came up as a freelance web developer, and I had the, uh, the great joy of building a career using Drupal, something that is a GPL license, if I remember correctly. And Drupal is open source software. But at the time, I knew that the software was free for me to use and modify and build on and then sell, but it never really dawned on me that that was something novel, something special was going on there. Right. And I think there are a lot of people like me who get into web development or software development, and because open source is so pervasive, it's just like we're a fish in water. We don't realize that there's something special or novel going on and that that something is open source. It didn't dawn on me until years later that, oh my gosh, this is like a, there's this approach to intellectual property that has really underwritten my career mm -hmm. uh, and my ability to not reinvent the wheel and just, you know, add value on top of existing things. And so I think a lot of people get into this work and they hear open source and they get a sense of like, oh, there's these types of software that there's proprietary and there's open source. And there are a lot of people who don't know what open source really is. It's like, a, oh, I know it when I see it, or it's a feeling, or it's the spirit of open source. And while I acknowledge that open source may mean different things to different people in different contexts, right. and that, that may be valid, open source is a term of art. And when I say term of art, I mean it is something specific that has a 
a meaning that lawyers rely on and need to. And so it's really critical that while we may have colloquial understandings of what open source is, that we also recognize that there's a strict definition of open source. And the fact that we have a strict definition of open source is what allows us to collaborate without friction. Because if we didn't have an open source definition, then we could have like whole categories of licenses that were incompatible with each other, or they might contain surprises. But the fact that something uh, has become an OSI approved license means that you can trust it's going to fit this mold and it's going to behave in predictable ways. I guess in many ways it's sort of analogous to going to the supermarket and seeing the word organic on a product or seeing the phrase gluten-free and having a certain assurance as to, well, what is actually, what does that mean? Can I just use that word? Right. Because I want to? Or is there some sort of a definition that would say that using this word implies this and you could expect the following and not expect something else? Like right. just because it says good for you doesn't mean that it's good for you. Right. Right. I think that's a good analogy. Open source is a bit like, you know, the certification marks that you might see that say organic or lead certified or, you know, whatever, um, insofar as it means something specific. Now, open source has been roughly genericized, which means that it's not a certification mark. It's not a trademark. There is a trademark around OSI approved license Uh and and around the, the OSI brand itself. So we're not in a position as an organization to police the use of open source, the way people say this is open source or not, which means that, you know, there are times when you might be out and about shopping for some software you want to use or a piece of hardware, and it may say that it's open source and it's not actually using an OSI approved license, which I would say means that it is not actually open source. Right, so I'll share with you that I've seen that plenty of times. Yeah. In my work, I see plenty of things that say they're open source in some part of the blog post or in some part of you know the communication about it. And then when you look really carefully, you find that, well, much of it is, but then there are some parts that actually aren't, in the sense that they aren't open source and sort of the understanding of what it is. And then technically speaking, had those licenses or had those terms be brought to OSI, I would predict, from my understanding, that OSI would say, yeah, no, like, this clearly violates the terms. So it, buyer beware, you know, when you look at, I guess, you know, when you're shopping around for open source options or solutions for things that you need, merely seeing the words open source might not be enough, looking carefully at the applicable license and any sort of other terms that might decorate that is relevant. Right. Right. So it's critical to look at the license and then look at the OSI approved license list, which you can find at opensource.org. And if you see that the license is there, well, okay, you've got some authentic open source there. And if you don't, well, maybe I I would ask that you would come and tell us, even though we we don't have the power to police these things, we will often reach out on behalf of the community to, to a project organizer or to a company, and uh, we'll reach out to them you know, in private. We're not trying to like, we want to call in before we call out. Right. And we say, hey, you know, this, this means something very specific to people, and it's not accurate the way that you're using it. Could you please X, Y, and Z? And we try to help them remedy that because you know, often it's a mistake that's made you know, without any malintent. Right. And so, you know, we're here to help. And there are a number of cases where, you know, community comes to us, reports an issue, 
we go talk to them and it typically gets resolved because people uh, respect that there's a community here with a shared understanding and they recognize that there's value in having that shared understanding and not muddying the waters. Let's talk about evolution Hmm. and relevance because the free software movement recognized, you know, its need to at the one, on the one hand, to stick to their principled approach of supporting user freedom. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's a very strong motivating value for the Free Software Foundation. And at the other, you know, to correspond with that, they recognize that the way software is distributed and delivered has changed such that the thoughts they had in the late 80s, (laughs) you know, when they were putting this, like, there was just a shift in the way that we deal with software such that in earlier licenses where they said, you know, you should be able to write to some address in downtown Boston to receive a copy of the license, say, well, (laughs) no one's going to write a letter, you know, self-addressed stamped envelope with the box card, like the whole, the whole thing was, it's it's no longer the way we do business. Their licenses, they've created evolved licenses that still adhere to the principles and yet evolved to the modern situations. The the state that we're in in open source today seems to be calling for that kind of conversation Mm -hmm. where in a world where compute is uh, in the cloud and when foundational services that are being made available to consumers are made available through intermediaries, one has to ask, is there a way for OSI to accommodate the evolution of needs and still remain true to its principles, right? Right, and play that kind of like just, just how. And let me see if I can even further articulate this question because it's so complicated. In as much as the Free Software Foundation played with versions of GPL, LGPL, and AGPL, and yet you know there are still gaps, right? And I still, you know, even putting in my Free Software tinfoil cap on, I would say, eh, like it's good, but it's better than it was, but it's not good enough. I think that in the world of the permissive licenses or the the spectrum of OSI licenses, which include permissive and restrictive licenses or permissive and hereditary licenses, right, right, or copyleft licenses, there's still this, there's clearly this need in the industry to say, well, can't there be a license that is both open but also not open? And Mm. and given this, is there there space for a new term? Mm. And if there is, is that term governed by another nonprofit entity? Or is there space for a new term that's governed by the same nonprofit entity that says, here are the ones that are open and here are the ones that are whatever that word is that means almost open, but not really. (laughs) Right. I think there's always space for evolution. I think you're right. Times have changed. And there were a lot of things about the way technology works today that we were not considered as people drafted uh, some of the more popular licenses back in the day. And so there are a few ways to go about this because I recognize we're in a different world now and that calls for probably new licenses, okay? Now I'm not saying that we need new licenses, but we might. Or maybe new licenses. I don't even, like, I don't know. Well, clearly there's a desire on the part of some voices in the industry for such a thing, right? right? So the expression is there. Right. And now the question is, what's the response, right? Because the immediate response is like, no, right? right? This doesn't fit. It's right. like you can use those licenses, but you can't call them open. But then there's the, hmm, let me observe. There's all this need to create something. I wonder 
how that gets managed. Right. You know, much like the open source movement evolves from free software movement, how does this evolve? You know, and is this the kind of evolution that we want to see happen? Or is this a, the kind of evolution where we say, nah, this is actually problematic because this denies a certain reality that, you know, maybe the need for these licenses is really a desperate attempt to claim stake in what might be a business practice that's eroding. Oh, I'm so glad right? you said it before I had to. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so I'm, I'm exploring the possibilities. Yeah. Like, I don't want to... I don't want to necessarily come to a conclusion, but sure. I want to explore the possibilities. On the yeah. one hand, industry is evolving. On the other hand, right. you have this need, you have this um, expression of the need for licenses. And now the question for people to evaluate, people in the industry and the industry thought leaders to evaluate is, is this something that we now need to embrace, accommodate, and figure out how to nestle right. and carry? Or is this something that we need to recognize is sort of a desperate attempt to claim something where the evolution is saying, eh, it's not going to, like, we're moving past this. Right. Figure out another way. I think that the first point I want to want to make, because this, I think you've set this up really well, and there, we're, we're living in a uh, particularly interesting time for licensing. And first, I think that we probably, there probably is the expression for a desire for new licenses or new approaches to these things is valid. I first want to say that. Now, what are the motivations? What are, what are we trying to accomplish with these new licenses? I guess I should back up and say the open source initiative, it not only maintains the open source definition, but that it applies it through the license review process, which then gets the license either added to the approved license list or, or not. And so as people feel novel needs, like needs for a new and novel license, we welcome that. And we encourage them to, as they feel this need, to start on the license discuss list where we can just talk about the ideas and possibly save them some time. Mm -hmm. And then when they draft a license, submit it to the license review list and we'll review it and, and it either gets added or not. Or, or we ask them to revise it in a way and then it gets added. You know, there's a process in place for considering new licenses and whether or not they're open source. And so I encourage people to engage with that process. I really encourage people to partake in that. Now that said, mm -hmm. if there's a need for something that doesn't fit the open source definition, a license that doesn't fit the open source definition, you know, maybe we're talking about source available licenses right. or something else, that is beyond OSI's remit. Right. Now, I'm not going to say that it's invalid. Well, it's your intellectual property. License it however you want, I right? Mean, there's the whole Creative Commons organization, right. which deals with licenses that are really more focused on content yes. than source code, right? Yeah. So it would be appropriate for, let's say, data sets or, or for other things. Right. And that exists without any sense of competitiveness against OSI. Exactly. Right. There's a, a, a separate field with a separate need that is similar in spirit, right, and making things sort of open licensed or permissively licensed so that we can share them more easily and all build on them. But yeah, that, that exists without, as you said, any sense of competition. And so right. I, I certainly mean, welcome, <laughs> you know, if we find that there's a whole new class of things that the open source definition doesn't really cover, well, let's, let's have that conversation as a community. And what I would encourage uh, what I would love to see happen is, if that is the case, that we follow a similar pattern here. You know, with Creative Commons, there's an organization, there's a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit, right. that maintains the, the licenses and evolves them over time and sort of facilitates all of this. Just like OSI, 
has its license list and it is itself evolves over time. And the reason, and the pattern that I'm, I'm describing here is like start and have an organization that can convene people around this discussion and be, be an arbiter and a facilitator of that discussion. So we have this neutral territory that we can discuss in that isn't necessarily beholden to my self-interest or your self-interest, sure. right? Because we, we're all coming at this with different intentions and different motivations. Though we have more common ground than we don't, we're definitely coming from different places. And, it, and listen, it's, it's that actual pattern, that pattern that you just described that has made open source great. Absolutely. It's the ability to convene people who come from different perspectives, who share quite a lot in common, but not everything. Right. Right? And to say, okay, let's figure out how to make something valuable. And we've certainly done that in the open source community. You know, Josh, let me end with one question, if I may. Thinking about the folks who are listening to this podcast, um, as individual listeners who, you know, want to hear what what you have to say, um, and also many of whom work for organizations, I'm wondering what thought would you want them to have when they think about OSI that they can either bring into their their lives as open source participants or to their organizations as, you know, members in the, you know, the field that, that they can think about? What's your message to them? I want people to know that the open source initiative is of the community, by the community, for the community. We have an elected board we are a 501c3 charity. We conduct our conversations in the open. Our board minutes are largely also in the open. We are you. And so as people discover OSI, maybe they didn't know it exists and, and maybe they get their hackles up like, oh, there's somebody who's like the gatekeeper of open source. No, we're not the gatekeeper. We are you. So come to the table and let's talk about it. If you have concerns or ideas, you know, it's just like any other open, it's just like an open source project, you know, show up and talk to us and we'll figure it out together. The other thing that I really want people to keep in mind is that we, like many of the other grassroots foundations, are a 501c3 charity with a scrappy budget. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're as like grassroots as it gets and we can't do it without your help. And uh, we can use all the help we can get uh, especially in times like this when the light is shining bright on us and people expect a lot of us but don't necessarily realize that we're a tiny organization that's mostly volunteer-driven. So come to the table. Let's talk. Help us out if you can. Josh, thank you very much for your time. So um, to the listeners, if open source is important to you, it probably is if you're listening to this podcast. If it's important to your organization, you can find out more about OSI and the role they play in the open source world, um, I think you have a very memorable uh, URL. What's the URL for them to find out more? Opensource.org. Opensource.org. That makes it really easy. So go to opensource.org to learn more. Josh, again, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of Dash Open, and if you want to learn more about the open source program at Verizon Media or any of the other things that we work on, visit our website at opensource.yahoo.com. And you can find us on Twitter at YDN. And thank you for listening to the show.